Hey, Angel. Hello. Hello. Have you seen this new thing on Twitter recently? What thing? I have been a bit busy trying to get my programming code working, so I have been a bit disconnected from social media and even the email. So what are you talking about? Well, you missed out on something quite spectacular. Did I? Yes. It's fantastic. There is a hashtag trending, which is hashtag unscience a space thing. Okay. People are taking science, photos of science things and labeling their diagrams with not very scientific terms. And it's fantastic, but they're totally accurate despite them being inaccurate. Um, I think I don't understand what you are talking about. Mm-hmm. Can I see one of these examples? So here's an example of someone labeling a diagram of Ultima Thule, for example. A flump, multi-boop, micro-boops, blop. Okay, that is interesting. Okay, so the micro-boops are little craters. Mm-hmm. The multi-boop is a big multi-crater. And the blop is like a mountain. Ah, now I see that. Okay, like a yep. convex. So, yeah, try to do the joke with that, of course. Mm-hmm. They are interesting terms because I don't follow any of them. There's also a great one from Phil Plate, the bad astronomer on Twitter. Ah, yes. He's yeah. uh, labelled an artist rendition of a black hole. And you've got the murder disc, uh-huh. which is the, yes. the accretion disc. Yeah, okay. yeah. Murder light, the light around the accretion disc. Murder torch. The beams coming out of the black hole. Okay, yes. And the murder ball, the black hole itself. The black hole itself. (laughs) See? Accurate but inaccurate. It is accurate but inaccurate, yes, you're right. So I decided to jump on this as well, and I redid the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. What have they done with the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram? So what I decided to do is uh, I renamed a couple of the diagrams on there already. So our sun is the close boy. We have giants as big boys, super giants Real big boys. And we've got the uh, really hot stars, or the hot babes, with the H-A-W-T, hot babes. Then we've got the white dwarfs, which are the dense boys. And the rest of the... Uh, actually, no, we've got the cool kids down the bottom, the nice, really mm. cold red dwarfs. And then we've got the main sequence, which are, I've renamed them the basic bitches. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, interesting thing for See, starting this episode. The things you miss when you stay off Twitter. Uh, yeah, sometimes it is also good for your mind in any case. That's true. But anyway, I think we should get back to the episode. Ah, uh, yes, let's go to do that. Hello, I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. I'm Kirsten Banks. And, and we, we are, are the Scientists. Welcome to episode 21. Yeah, and we are not going to do the joke again because we are adding numbers and we are doing that good. So, yes, good, <laughs> good, good, good. So. What are we going to be doing today, Christine? Well, today we, of course, uh, we'll start off with some space news and all that sort of stuff. But we're going to talk about New Horizons. The spacecraft. The spacecraft, yes. Okay, good. Not, not the company that has its head office here in North Ride. I have known that just a moment ago when you mentioned that. Before, As did I. I. Just, I didn't know. <laughs> the, the troubles of Googling New Horizons and not specify which New Horizons you're after. Good. But, of course, we must start with our space news. Mm-hmm. So, I have some space news of a particular NASA rover, which we all know and love. A particular NASA rover. Let me guess. Oppie. Yes, Oppie. 
Oppie is. We're still trying to talk to Oppie. It's the last chance for Oppie now.、Aww. We think yes. So NASA and JPL are trying to, going for a different approach. Instead of just listening for Oppie, they are doing a sweep and beep.、Oh, what is that? A sweep and beep is that instead of just listening, the project sends commands to the rover to respond back with a beep. A beep. A beep. Yeah. Good. Hopefully、What? it responds with a beep because I'm not ready to let go of Oppie. As of the 25th of January this year,、yes. it's been on Mars for 15 years. So it has been 15 years already in、mm-hmm. Mars, but it was lost after the very heavy sandstorm that happened around mid last year. Mid last year. Yes. So and all the attempts to reconnect with Opportunity have failed. They have. And it is a pity if we at the end have to say bye bye to this. Amazing robot, which is sad. But let's, as we said in our episode, when we did talk about Mars and the rovers a little bit, they're going strong. They've been there for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, they have been a long, long time. And still, we have curiosity there. We do. And spirit, spirit, no spirit. No, that's right. Spirit, spirit was disconnected、that's、just、right. a long, long time ago. Or I think that was also. As a consequence of another dust storm, if、uh, I remember properly, but some few years ago. Oh no, that's right. Inside, Martin Inside, which is not a rover, but it's a lander. It but is still lander. doing some cool and, stuff. Yeah, and it is tweeting a lot. It is tweeting a lot. Yes, it's very I, social media I'm, active. Yeah, I'm putting now my seismographer here and moving <laughs> things. Look at how I'm moving things. Look, <laughs> I'm so productive. <laughs> hello, 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 funding me, funding me, funding me. <laughs> Okay. Do you have some space news? Yes, I do have some space news. Excellent. And, and, and I like to very briefly mention that that is actually from a research from the institute I where I did my PhD in、mm-hmm. the Canary Islands from the、uh, Institute of Astrophysics of the Canarias or Canary Islands Institute for Astronomy. Some researchers、uh, have been working hard、uh, during the last three years to produce the deepest image of the universe ever taken from space. The ultra super duper deep field. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the ultra super duper. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the actual、no. name of it, but it is the Hubble Ultra Deep Field、mm-hmm. that have been published. I mean, because the data were taken with the Weifel Camera Three in 2012, if I remember properly, around 230 hours observing time continuously the same region of the space. Getting plenty of light of distant galaxies and stars, everything that is in between. So about nine and a half days for those、Something、who can't、like、do the quick yeah, maths. Yeah. I just did the quick maths on my phone.、Great. About nine and a half days. Good, almost ten days. Yeah, something like、mm. that.、Huh? Interesting because I remember in another talk saying that it was almost a month. But anyway, <laughs> order of magnitude in astronomy. I was not. It's very, close enough. I was not that wrong. Anyway, so the results were shown very nicely some few years ago and. Published in a website in NASA and found plenty of dwarf, not dwarf galaxies, but very faint objects in the distant、mm. universe. But what they have done it is to reprocess the data. Now that we have better computers and we have better techniques, better understanding of the techniques, and they have been able to trace the diffuse parts of many of the galaxies、Ooh. that was not visible before in the old images that we have had till that、mm. moment, because the Processing of the data destroyed that part, so and,、right. and that is why have been a very intense part of researchers there at the ISC, led by Alejandro Borlaf and some few other collaborators. And as they say, this image of the universe it is known now the deepest, and have been possible thanks to a striking improvements in the techniques of imaging processing. 
which has been achieved in recent years, a field in which the group of the ISE is forefront, really, at the moment. So they have already shown some few amazing images taken with the 10-meter telescope of the Canary Islands, the GTC, Grand Telescopio Canarias, of the outer skirts of galaxies, just showing the distortions because of satellites or mm. tidal streams and merging small galaxies and the diffuse stuff that is coming there. And this has been shown very nicely, thanks not only to the the quality of the data, but also how they really treated the data, how they were able to combine the data and reduce the data, we say, in astronomy, and produce the final image. So it really is the super-duper ultra-date field. At the moment, yes, it is. Because it w- initially it was the ultra-date field, but now they've made the, it even more... The Hubble ultra-date field, because first they took the deep field, the Hubble yes. deep field. They There's the deep field, the ultra-date ultra field. field. There's now, also the extreme deep field, yeah. which is a, a diff- different photo altogether that, that again. Is a different and now photo. there's this one, the super-duper ultra-date field. Super, okay, well, now, you know, they will call it the super-duper... How it is? Super-duper ultra. Super-duper ultra Hubble deep field image. It's fun to say. Good. Super duper ultra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the space news are done. So we can go to the main topic of yes, this episode. Yes, New Horizons. The New Horizons new spacecraft. Horizons. Yes. So for a bit of a recap on New Horizons, it was launched on January 19, 2006, and it did a flyby of Jupiter in 2007 one for sec. a gravity assist. Oh, what? One sec, one sec. In between... When it was traveling from the Earth to Jupiter in its way to Pluto, mm. what happened? Did it go through the asteroid belt? Astronomers decided to change the designation of Pluto as a dwarf <gasps> planet. No, they did. That's right. That happened in that happened when it was. Oh my goodness! Whoa. So when New Horizons was launched, Pluto was a planet. Pluto was a planet. Oh. Dang. And then just five months later, six months later, astronomers decided to change the definition of planets. And then New Dyson was not going to chase the last planet of the solar system. Instead, the first dwarf planet? The first dwarf planet. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, uh, that's just a wow. <laughs> sorry, I wanted to say it in that moment. So in the trip... <laughs> To Jupiter to get the gravitational pull from Jupiter mm. to go to get faster to Pluto, it was when this happened. Oh dang! Okay. And then of course flew by Pluto in 2015, when it was very much more or less accepted in inverted co- quotes um, as a dwarf planet. Mm-hmm. That and was it- on the 14th of July 2015. There you go. 14th of July, 2015. And, fun fact, it is the fifth space probe to achieve escape velocity of the solar system. Mm -hmm, So eventually it will escape the solar system. Yeah, the other are for sure Voyager 1, Voyager 2, and I think that the pioneers, Mm. 10 and 11. Yes, I think that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now New Horizons as well will join them out there into interstellar space in still quite a long time, but still, eventually. Yeah, and uh, now just uh, visited Ultima Thule. Yes. Or, let's say, the proper name, 2014 MU69. Yes, or the Cosmic Jelly Bean. Or BB-8. Or a peanut. Or the pumpkin, the other one you the, mentioned. The butternut pumpkin. The butternut pumpkin, yeah. What about a snowman? And the snowman. Well, the that snowman was, was a very, very common one. I think we should put out a... Uh, 
a poll on Twitter and see what everyone else thinks. What is what is the most popular descriptor of Ultima Thule? Okay, so cosmic jelly bean. We can only put four. So okay. Let's decide then. So it has so to be cosmic jelly bean. BB8. Definitely BB8. That's my favorite. Yes. That is what I'm going to vote for. Has to be snowman. A snowman and the other the or the peanut. The peanut, perhaps. Peanut? Yes. Peanut. Okay, yes. we have the floor. Okay. okay, we will open that. Paul, when this episode is released, just for our listeners to mm-hmm. provide the feedback about that. As you mentioned, New Horizons did a flyby of Pluto in, uh, in July 2015, and it was traveling with a very, very high speed, 49,000 kilometers per hour, actually 49.6 thousand kilometers per hour. That is equivalent to 3.9 times the diameter of the Earth in an hour. Oh. So you can reach the moon in 7 hours and 45 minutes. So that is the speed that uh, New Horizons was traveling in that moment. I think that right now it is more or less the same. That's pretty good. Pretty fast. And New Horizons had two main objectives. Yes, I have a few more than two, but what are the main ones? The two main ones, first to observe Pluto. Yep. And the second one to try to observe and get the very first images of a trans-Neptunian object, of a Kuiper Belt object. Yes, other than Pluto. Other than Pluto, yeah. yeah. Ah, because I have a few specific objectives for Pluto written down. Oh, okay. Please so the specific it. objectives of Pluto... For Pluto, rather, was uh, to look at the atmosphere composition, what it was made up of, Mm -hmm. Pluto's atmosphere, also its behaviour. We also wanted to look at the surface of Pluto because, of course, photos of Pluto before New Horizons got there were just very fuzzy and brown. Well, the best images we got were with the Hubble Space Telescope and perhaps four or five pixels wide, Mm -hmm. I don't know, very, very small, tiny. Very small, very blobby. Enough to note that there were some differences. Mm. between different regions, just because one pixel was a bit brighter than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but NEC very spectacular. Yes, so we wanted to get a nice look at the surface of Pluto, see if there were any geological features, and we also wanted to look at how the solar wind would interact with Pluto's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, very interesting question, all of them. Mm. So with all of those objectives in mind, they had a few science payloads. Mm-hmm. And a few instruments, which have some fantastic names. Okay. The first one is called Ralph. Ralph, yes. Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> Ralph is the visible and infrared imager slash spectrometer, and it provides color, composition, and thermal maps. So that would have been the one with the one the, that the, got the, the photo. Yeah, taking the photos. Yes. Then we have Alice. Alice. We have Ralph and Alice. Alice is the ultraviolet imaging spectrometer. It analyzes the composition and structure of Pluto's atmosphere, so that's Objective number one, and looks for atmospheres around Sharon and Kuiper Belt objects. So mm-hmm. that would have been used for Ultima Thule as well, you yes, think? Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Then we have REX, the radio science experiment. Uh, this measured atmospheric composition and temperature mm-hmm. and had a passive radiometer. I don't know what that is, I must say. If anyone knows what a passive radiometer is, let us know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we have LORI, the long-range reconnaissance Imager? Oh, reconnaissance? That, is, that is the one that is taking the majority of the images. Yes, the telescopic that. camera yeah. obtains encounter data at long distances, maintain, mm-hmm. uh, maps Pluto's far side and provides high-resolution geologic data. Because we have to remember that New Horizons is moving at very fast speed. Yes. And it is going to be very close to Pluto or later to Ultima Thule. 
meaning that the photos that are taken have to be relatively fast. If not, the object will appear moved. That's right. It's just imagine trying to take a photo on a fast train. Exactly. At 49,000, almost 50,000 kilometers per hour, when you are only at 12,500 kilometers from the surface of Pluto, which was mm. the maximum approach to Pluto in uh, the 14th of July, 2015. Mm. Next, we have SWAP, solar wind around Pluto. Okay. Yeah, that would probably be to measure the solar radiation and the solar wind, of course, as its name says. Pretty much. Although, I must say, I think they were stretching a bit far to, for this name. <laughs> probably. Swap, solar wind around Pluto. Probably. Okay. Yeah. But yes, it's specifics. Solar wind and plasma spectrometer measures atmospheric escape rate and observes Pluto interaction with the solar wind. So there you go. The last objective. Then we have PEPC with two S's. So Pluto Energetic Particle Spectrometer Science Investigation. Now that is an instrument name. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, this is the energetic particle spectrometer. So it measures the composition and density of plasmas or ions escaping from Pluto's atmosphere. Did you say Pepsi? Pepsi? Pepsi. 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 Okay. Pepsi. Yes, so with two S's. The, the, the friends of Coca-Cola were not very happy. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Sorry, I have to do the very bad joke. <laughs> we're all about bad jokes on this show. Uh, then we have, finally, the SDC. The student dust counter. A student. Student. Okay. I'm imagining that they just strapped a grad student to them. <laughs> I hope they didn't do that. Poor Surely students, not. Uh, uh, not Could you back. imagine just Count. strapping a student to the side of an inst- of a, a spacecraft? I'm counting. Counting dust. So it's, uh, this was actually built and operated by students, and it measured the space dust peppering New Horizons during its voyage across the solar system. Mm-hmm. So it was actually counting dust as it was traveling through the solar system. That's good. That is also important to know a bit better what is the distribution of dust in the solar mm-hmm. system. That there is still plenty of dust, and we saw that, for example, in the zodiacal light. Yes. Also good to know that it was built by students, not mm-hmm. a student... So those are all of the instruments that are attached to New Horizons. So consider how many uh, instruments did you say at the end? Uh, six, seven? Seven. Seven. So yes. all the information that was collected with New Horizons have to be sent back to Earth. Mm. And there is a limitation with that because uh, New Horizons can only send two kilobytes of data per second, which is wow. almost nothing. Imagine having two kilobytes of internet. Well, they, many so people will freak out. They will say, ah. well, that was even worse than in the old times when we have the modem. <laughs> so just to put into perspective, we need 1,219 hours to send an equivalent of one CD of music. Oh, my goodness. A CD. Wow. So that is why the old information has been... You know, collected patiently during several months to years. Mm. So have we have we gotten all the data from Pluto back yes, now? Okay, yes. good. So I was just because, wondering. Because that was uh, mm. July 2015 mm. and it was till October 2016, so a year and three months after that, that all the data was saved back to Earth. But for the data that we have collected from New Horizons, from the flyby around uh, Ultima Thule, that will be more than a year and a half. So we will not have everything till, if I remember properly, some moment, July, August, mm. 2020. Okay. 
I can wait that the th long. The thing is that they, there is a way of knowing uh, the data that are much more useful mm. because of the metadata information codified in the images. So if there is an image which is majoritarily black because they were just trying to find a place of to be sure that they got particularly Ultima Thule mm. in the photo, they were just shooting around and that there are many images that are just black. Ah. But the amount of data there is lower than when you have something, when you have uh, an, an object because of the changes of the different uh, like The difference in each pixel yeah. sort of thing. So, so that is why they usually will take back first the good data than the data that probably they are not that much useful. Mm, there you go. So now that we know all of the instruments and what they use for and that one of them is not actually a student, um, what did we actually find with Pluto, other than that it loves us because it's got a big heart on it? Oof. We found many, many, many surprises. Ooh. We were, I think that we were not ready to what we were going to find. Are we ever ready, though? No, no, but yeah. uh, <laughs> if we think about Pluto, it is a dwarf object, dwarf planet now in the outer skirt of the solar system. What is going to happen there? So it's mm. going to be like a big asteroid with no other features. That is what many people were thinking about. Yeah. They knew that it seems that he had an atmosphere in some way, and that was the only thing that it was kind of interesting. But then when we got the data and the amazing images of Pluto by New Horizons, the first thing that it was very evident it is that Pluto is a very complex object. Ooh. So that will say that that will be the main thing mm. from observing Pluto with New Horizons. And... These images have revealed amazing places, regions that are made majoritarily by nitrogen, methane, carbon dioxide, that are frozen in the surface. And we were not expecting that. Also because have plenty of variety in the chemical composition, in the color, in the morphology. There are regions that have craters. There are other regions, like the heart shape, mm. the Sputnik Planitia. Sputnik Plateau, Sputnik... Sputnik Planetia. Sputnik Planetia, thank you, yeah. That uh, doesn't show many impact craters. And we think we are trying to understand that uh, it is because the surface is regenerating in some way. Mm. So that was one of the first things about observing Pluto. But the second big surprise was it is that we are talking about Pluto, but it is not only Pluto. It is also Charon, the satellite, the big satellite, mm. Can't forget that at the end of the day, Pluto and Charon are uh, almost a double dwarf planet. Let's say it that <laughs> way. And Pluto is complex, and Caronte, sorry, Charon. And Charon, what we are finding in Charon is also very complex, but very different from what we are finding in Pluto. Huh. So they have lived very different lives, mm. put in the way, particularly geological lives. Charon has a system of Canyons, 1,600 kilometers long, 9 kilometers deep, and has water. And we are not finding water in frozen water, of course, when I'm talking about water in Pluto, but we are seeing that in Charon. And also, there are some few impact craters in Charon, less than what we were expected. That was also something very interesting to, to find, no? the contrast between the two objects. And I will say that that is the other of the big surprises. And the difference in color, 
because Pluto is, has very... Very brown, bra but, but bright color. Oranges, mm. brown, but lived color. Mm -hmm. But Sharon seems to be very dark. Oh. Gray and dark, and actually they started, the, the team in, from New Horizons started to name the features in Charon with uh, names of uh, the Lord of the Rings, from <laughs> Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. I think that at the end, the Astronomical International Union didn't accept those names. And that of course, just for... but despite that, we're still going to call the Goblin Planet the Goblin and Far Out, Far Out. Far out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, it the popular names, they, they stick. <laughs> the other thing that it was very interesting to note was that Pluto have geological activity. Oh. It is a live planet. Oh. And that what, is how is it how is it live? What's it what's it doing? Do we know? Uh, well, there are many things that we don't know because New Horizons was just it passing just, through just, very quickly bye -bye. Bye -bye. a few hours. Hello, taking some photo. <laughs> but as I said, in the Sputnik Planitian we don't say any impact crater and mm. we know since So it must be active somehow. It is there. active. It is active because this is a frozen land 1,000 kilometers long with any, a single impact crater. And we, just estimating that, we know that it was created only some few million years ago. That's, that's that very young. Nothing. That's very that young. Nothing. The history just, in the solar system. Just to remind you, yeah, the solar system's 5 so, billion years old. Yes, the, so, the Earth is just over 4 billion years old. So, and, and when you see into the detail of the images, you realize that the smoothing planitiate is broken in different irregular segments that are connected by very narrow uh, stretches. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be holes in the ice coming from from inside. And this, we're not talking about ice here, it is majoritarily nitrogen and also a bit of carbon dioxide, but not water. Not water. Okay, so no geysers. No, no, no geysers in that way. But also, Pluto has glaciers, mountains, dunes. Oh. There are mountains that are made of ice, again, of ice course. of nitrogen, majorly, four kilometers high. That's twice the size of Mount Kosciuszko in Australia. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Australia doesn't have very tall mountains. It's, Australia is very flat. Yeah, so we have hills. Mon how do you pronounce Kosciuszko? Kosciuszko. Kosciuszko. I, I will never be able to pronounce <laughs> that properly well because it's very well written. So that was one of the places that we were actually checking when the idea of installing the Anglo-Australian telescope was ah, serious. So in, because that was on, a, yeah. It's the highest peak in Australia. Exactly, yeah. But uh, the weather was very bad and it was very yes. difficult to go there. It's very snowy up there sometimes. Yeah, very not ideal for telescopes. That is why it is called that region also the snowy mountains. Yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. These kind of things are indicated that they have been moving. Mm. So very interesting indeed. And regarding the atmosphere, it was also a surprise to see that it is there and that it has a very nice bluish color. That is a consequence of the organic molecules in the atmosphere of Pluto. When I'm talking about organic molecules, it's just these tolines, which mm. are complex of hydrogen, carbon, and nitrogen, very easy complex. Yep. But uh, these are able to absorb the red light, only letting the blue light coming through, and that is why we see this kind of very narrow bluish atmosphere layer over ah. Pluto. So it was quite interesting, and, and people are still analyzing the data. 
because it is really amazing what we got from this dwarf planet. And now we've gotten to Ultima Thule. 2014 MU69. Yes, okay. 2014 MU69, Ultima Thule. What about, what about Ultima Thule? <laughs> even the Astronomical International Union published recently a communicate advising people, please don't use Ultima Thule because it is not the official name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww. laughs> so that was the big news at the beginning of 2019. New Horizons fly by to 2014, MU69, Ultima Thule, um, providing amazing first images of a trans-Neptunian object mm. that is not a dwarf planet, being the spacecraft that have reached the farthest object in our solar system, and providing this kind of very interesting information about a very weird object that, again, it was not what many of us were expecting to see. Yes. I don't think anyone expected to see a cosmic jelly bean. Uh, nobody expected to see BB-8 real in the space. Anyway, <laughs> um, so just to put again into perspective, we are talking about an object in the Kuiper Belt, which is that area in the outer skirts of the solar system in which Pluto is mm. included. Plenty of... They are not asteroids. They are not comets. There's kind of different objects. They have plenty of ice and gas, as we were also explaining in another episode about the the different parts of the solar system. We also mentioned in that episode that the short-period comets are coming from the Kuiper Belt, but actually in the recent years, and I have known this after we recorded that episode, there is increasing evidence that it is not exactly from the Kuiper Belt, Ah. But for something that uh, it is called the dispersed disk in the solar system, because the Kuiper Belt object seems to have a bit more circular orbits, Okay. while these dispersed disks objects there, they are having more elliptical orbits, as the comets are usually doing. The first object at the Kuiper Belt was found in 1992, it's called Albion, oh. and we have already found more than 1,000 of these objects, but they might be perhaps 100,000 objects. There's bound to be heaps of them. With size larger than 100 kilometers. Oh, okay. So these are big. We might have the idea of the asteroid belt. The asteroid belt, it is much smaller um less massive than the Kuiper Belt. Mm-hmm. The Kuiper Belt, it is around 20 times wider and 200 more massive than the asteroid belt. And again, is keeping the remnants of the formation of the solar system. That is the important thing, because studying these objects, we are going to have a glimpse of how the conditions were when the planets were in formation. Mm. Ultima Thule, 2014, MU69... Yeah, sorry, I have to say that, <laughs> was actually discovered in 2014. Of course. No surprises there. <laughs> by the team of New Horizons. Oh, because that, uh, yes, of course. Because that was the, the second main thing of the space mission. It was not only going to Pluto. It was yes. to try to find another an Kuiper Belt object, exactly. trans-Neptunium object past Pluto. But we didn't have an object around that area. So when was it discovered? Was it discovered before New Horizon got to Pluto or did they aimlessly figure it out after they went no, past no, no, Pluto? No, 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 no. That was the year before. Oh, that's, that's just in case. Pluto and using 
a lot of time on the Hubble Space Telescope. Mm. So it was a very hard work yes. of just chasing that particular region of the sky that have to be the region where uh, the spacecraft was able to move. They still have some fuel mm -hmm. to do some few changes in the trajectory of, of, of New Horizons. So they found it just in the nick of time. Yeah, just on time. But again, after a very hard search and using plenty of data from Hubble Space Telescope, they were very happy to do that. And it was also a bit tricky to find to try to find the orbit of this object of mm. 2014 MU69 Ultima Thule. And they needed that because it was very important to know exactly how to move the spacecraft. Of course. Yes, this is a very important information to know. So that is why they were keeping continually doing observations, usually Hubble Space Telescope. But the key thing was that the, the team, the science team, got in exclusive the data from the Gaia mission that we ah, also talked yes. in another episode about this satellite from the European Space Agency just targeting a billion stars in the Milky Way mm. just to know exactly their positions in the space and how yep. they're moving. And that was important of that particular region of the sky just in case that object was able to cross in front of a star, ah. having an occultation. Yes. And doing that, it's very good to really put constraints to the orbit, mm -hmm. to the distance, and also even to have an idea of the shape. Of course. Of the object. Because of how the transit would occur. They try a couple of them. One of them was particularly interesting to follow. That was in July 2017. Mm -hmm. So that was a year and a half before the flyby of this object. And that was in Argentina, a group of astronomers using amateur telescopes, but big ones. Mm -hmm. They were in the predicted path of the occultation. That is what it is. It is an occultation of... Uh, the star, and they put, I don't remember how many, but 10, 12 different telescopes, each of them separated on average five kilometers mm -hmm. with respect to the other, and they just were going to measure the occultation if it happens, yep. and measuring the times, that will give you a sense of the shape. So at the end, five of the telescopes were able to observe the occultation of the star by yeah. Ultima Thule. But the times were different. When you put the times, you realize that the object cannot be a sphere, cannot ah, be rounded. Right. Have to be something elongated, or the data were more suggesting two things, two kind of rounded things merge together. And it is oh, a very so nice. They actually expected this shape somewhat yeah, yeah, when, yeah. before let they got me, there. Let me, let me show you that. Every one of these lines. That is an observation. One, two, three, four, five observe the occultation. These mm -hmm. are, they are separated in a different way. Some few others didn't, didn't get that. And the gaps were just drawing the form of Ultima Thule. Mm, so it's the, basically a spitting image. The blue thing here, it is the shape of Ultima Thule when having already observed with uh, mm -hmm. New Horizons that have been put there. It is precisely... The shape that they caught. Like actually like a mirror image. And, like it's and, incredible. And I want to say that it's a technique that amateur astronomers have been doing for a long time 
for trying to guess the shape of asteroids. Ah. And I have loved this. I remember that even I tried to participate one campaign oof, in my almost teenager years, <laughs> long, long time ago, when I was doing my degree in Granada, another time, another country, another life. <laughs> Sorry. But that is why I'm so impressed that they were doing that. Mm. And I didn't know in the moment... Because I was seeing all the images of the publicity about New Horizons getting into Ultima Thule with the two blobs. Yep. And I was wondering, why? Why? So mm. it was actually a kind of a poll for them. Is it elongated? Mm. Are they two bodies, yep. one around the other? Are the two bodies connected? Are they not? What is happening? Mm. So it was really interesting to get there. Okay, so what did they find in Ultima Thule, or 2014 MU69, despite that it's a cosmic jelly bean? Uh, or BB-8, whatever. <laughs> well, it is a very peculiar object. It has a dimension of 33 by 15 kilometers, mm-hmm, more or less. Roughly. So it is, at the end, two objects that have merged together, probably at the very beginning of the solar system. And it is called a contact binary object because mm-hmm. of this. There's some few of these objects. Because they're objects. in contact and there's two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? We have found comets and even asteroids with this kind of shape, but it is the very first time that it is so evident that there are two bodies that have been connected. And mm. that is why it's so important and interesting. And the neck, which is the connection between them, it is a bit brighter, probably because the slopes are a bit more pronunciated and the dust have been collecting there that yes. have a very different kind of composition. But we have to think about that they, when the moment that the collision between these two bodies happened, it was very, very, very soft. It was mm. one moving with respect to the other at around perhaps three, five, maximum 10 kilometers per hour. Yes, because I saw this. It was, um, an analogy someone used is it's no faster than how you would accidentally run into someone on the street. Yeah, something like that. I also like to do the analogy with the way of parking by contact. <laughs> you don't, Touch you, park. You usually <laughs> don't do this in Australia, but I promise you that not, not in Spain, but in Europe, that narrow streets and very small cars and you have to park very carefully and you're hitting the other car. Oh, <laughs> that sort of touch parking. <laughs> yes. the, the touch parking that I know and love is having, you know, at the back of a um, car park, they have little strut thing and your tires ah, bump the back of that. that that's touch parking. That is the touch parking. No, 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 no. The, the other touch parking is actually touching. This is, this is crash parking. Yes, touching <laughs> or crashing onto, onto the other Wow. <laughs> All that happened with Ultima Thule and New Horizons being at a distance of 6 billions, 470 millions kilometers from the sun. Oh, well... So it's far. It is far, yes. Pretty far. It is far. But of course, we still need to wait for all the data to yeah, come back. Yeah, we so still have to, to maybe, wait till the data. Maybe we'll do another episode in 2020, was 2020, it? September 2020, perhaps. So, around yep, that, that's so. the moment. Ah, just one last thing. The provisional names that the team have given to the two bodies mm-hmm. are Ultima and Thule. Yes, the, the big one is Ultima, the small one is Thule. Like, come on. But of course, the uh, uh, Astronomical International Union have not approved these names no, yet. Not yet, not yet. But anyway, that is our main event for this episode. 
but and uh, still trying to find another object in the Kuiper belt oh, to of try course, to yes. do another flyby. Yes, but so we'll have to wait for that one too. Probably it will not happen because it is very, 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 very hard to find this. It was hard to find Ultima Thule. Yes. It will be even harder finding someone. Yes. Something even, even further, further away. away. <laughs> of course, of course. And that was our main event. And now it's time for us to do feedback. So Yay, feedback. there's been one thing that we have been very lazy and we do apologize. We kind of got lost in the middle of everything and lost in all of the notifications. But from Panda Hill on Twitter, they ask what our top list would be of like the top sites for an amateur stargazer to see in the southern night sky. And uh, they gave us their top ten. Their top ten is number one, the moon, then Saturn, Jupiter, Orion Nebula, Venus, Mars, Jewelbox, and Pleiades. They're actually going to give us eight, but that's okay. But that, that's a pretty good list, mm-hmm. I must that, say. I would say that, yes, that it is in general quite good. I have, What's your list? I have my list here. Let it see. I will agree with Panda Hill in the majority of them, particularly the same one at the beginning, because I would say the first one has to be the moon, the second one Saturn, because I like Saturn more than Jupiter. Also, mm-hmm. Jupiter is very, very good too. So Jupiter yes. will be the, my third. The Orion Nebula will be the fourth. I will say that Omega Centauri, the globular cluster of, as you say, oh my God, Centauri. <laughs> yes, fifth, I love that it's catching on. Um, if you want to know about that, that was actually discussed in another episode. The Carina Nebula, number six. Ah. Tarantula Nebula of 30 Doradus. I've heard good things about that. I haven't seen it before, oh, though. That is very impressive. Ooh. It's very impressive to see, particularly if you have one of these filters for only seeing the oxygen-3 emission uh-huh. or the H-alpha, oxygen-3 even better. So that will be Tarantula Nebula number 7. Perhaps 47 Tucanai number 8, which mm-hmm. is another globular cluster around the small Magallanic cloud. The Jewel Box, number nine, also because you can see the contrast in colors with yes. the red star and the red star. You can see the different blue. colored jewels. And I wanted to include at least one galaxy in the list because, well, at the end of the day, I'm a galaxy guy. I will say NGC 253 of the Silver Coin Galaxy Ooh. in a sculptor, which is very nice to see with Excellent. a small telescope. Again, you need a bit of a dark place yes. to see it nicely. That's fair enough. What is in your list? Well, my top 10 have similar objects, but in a different order. My number one is the Orion Nebula. Now, I know it's not the easiest thing to see, but I just, this is the Orion Nebula is the object. To be fair, I saw it for the first time as a photo taken by Hubble. It is the object that got me hooked on space. So it has a personal connection for me as well. So the Orion Nebula is number one. Number two, Saturn, of course. Number three, the moon. It's still pretty good. Number four, Jupiter. Number five, the jewel box. Number six, oh my God, Centauri. <laughs> Number seven, I do like Venus. Venus is quite nice and seeing like the different um, phases. phases and all of that. Uh, number eight comes in at Sirius <laughs> because <laughs> you, you know me. Yeah, I, know I love you. making I the jokes. I know you, I know you. Plus, it's very pretty, I must say. It is a very pretty star. Yeah, sparkling colors, mm. which are our atmosphere plane. Of course, of course. <laughs> Not the star. Not the star at all. But it's still very pretty. Uh, number nine, the Carina Nebula. It is quite nice. Mm-hmm. But I, it, I think it's, it looks small. 
well, in our telescopes. Yeah, particularly after you have seen the color images or mm. you have seen with your eyes the Orion Nebula. Yes. You go to any other nebula and you say... Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, Hubble Space Telescope, for ruining my dreams, uh, but also starting my dreams too. <laughs> and then number 10, I also wanted to include a galaxy. It's not the best galaxy, but it has a good story behind it. In my case, it's the Sombrero Galaxy. The Sombrero Galaxy, M104. M104, yes. So with the Sombrero Galaxy, I decided to give it a go one night looking through the telescope at Sydney Observatory because someone mentioned, have you seen a galaxy through the telescope before? I'm like, no, I haven't. Let's try one. So I decided it was a perfect night for it, completely clear, cold and still air, very low humidity as well. So it was very, very good seeing for mm -hmm. the night. And the Sombrero Galaxy happened to be directly above us in the night sky. So it was literally the perfect instant you could have to look at a galaxy. So I pointed the telescope at the Sombrero Galaxy. And for those who haven't seen the Sombrero Galaxy or a picture of it before, it is what it sounds like. It looks like a sombrero. <laughs> but through the telescope at Sydney Observatory with the, uh, the light pollution and all that sort of stuff adding on, it looked like a sombrero-shaped smudge. Through the telescope, <laughs> but it was still a galaxy 30 million light years away, and so that is sorry, 30 billion. No, no 30 no. million. What, 30 why did I think billion? Oh my goodness, million. but still 30 million light years away, and it's just I'm so excited that I've seen a galaxy through a telescope, of course. And that is the excitement I have, and I think many people have when looking through a telescope mm. for galaxies that you are seeing the light of something that happened tens of millions or even hundreds of millions years ago. Mm, indeed. So I was even considering using the Sombrero Galaxy for this episode, for ah, what's up. Excellent. No, 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 because it is not up oh, at the moment. I was about to say, wait, hold on, hold on. It's <laughs> it summer. It's not up at the moment. It doesn't work. So if you're with me, perhaps we can say 47 Tukanai. Yes. 47 Tuk or 47 Tukane in the constellation of the Tukan. Why it's called number 47, I don't know. Do you know why it's number 47? Oh, why is it number 47? Well, because it was confused by a star. Oh. You can see with your naked eye. You it can, is, yes. It is the same way that Omega Centauri is called Omega Centauri. That's true, because yes. Because it is the name of a star. Oh. When you run out of um, the Greek letters, you Alpha, the writers, Beta, yep. you, you get to the to the numbers. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Well, actually, I don't remember if it's 1, 2, 3, or you actually start with 25. Perhaps okay. you start with 25. Because so. then that would be after the 25 Greek letters. Omega will be the 24. Yeah. And then 25, blah, blah, blah. 47 will be the 47th brightest star in ah, the Tucan constellation. That is really cool. I will never forget that now. Yeah, there you go. So 47 Tucane is our what's up. And I think now I was tossing up between Omega Centauri and 47 Tuck for my number six because Omega Centauri is oh my God, incredible, because it has so many stars. But 47 Tucane just tends to look a little bit better through a telescope because it's got a bit more of a centralized core and you can like see the distinction a bit more, whereas with Omega Centauri, it's just lots of stars. Yes, plenty of stars just there. Right there in the telescope. You can also, that is a good thing that you compare different globular clusters, you see that they have different kind of concentrations. Sometimes mm. you are able to resolve the stars in the center, like more or less happen with 47 to Canai, yes. but it is almost impossible to do with Omega Centauri because there are so many, There's many, so many, many stars. stars. So 47 to Canai is located at around 13,000 light years away, and it is uh, 120 light years across, mm -hmm. wide. 
and as you said, we, we have been discussing, you can see with your naked eye. But In a dark sky. Please, please go and check with a telescope because you will see plenty of mm. stars there. It is quite large, 50 arc minutes across. Ooh. That is even larger than the moon. It is yes. almost two moons in the sky. The first time that it was noticed as a globular cluster was by the French astronomer Nicolas de Lacaille. Or Lacaille, Lacaille. I don't know how to pronounce it in French, in, not even in English anyway. <laughs> um, in the middle of the 18th century. And again, it is the second brightest globular cluster in the sky. Only behind Omega Centauri. Yes, behind Omega Centauri. It is very well positioned at the moment in the sky, in the evening skies, close to the small Magellanic cloud. Mm -hmm. In a dark place, you can see the two of them very nicely together. Mm -hmm. And you will recognize 47 to Canai, but they are completely independent objects. Yes. Small Magellanic cloud, it is mm -hmm. uh, 10 times the distance or something like that. And another curiosity about 47 to Canai, it is that there are increasing evidences that it might contain an intermediate mass black hole Ooh. in the center, which is... I thought that was only for Omega Centauri, but no, 47 Tucani as well. There, yeah, there are some few of these global clusters that have found in this kind of clues about mm. having this intermediate mass, that is, they are not the stellar black holes, yeah. as we discussed in our very first episode, long, long yes. time ago. Yes, long, long ago. This kind of... Uh, 21 episodes are, ago. The when a very massive star died mm -hmm. and they are not the very massive black holes that we are finding in the center of galaxies of course there's somewhere a million mass yes there's somewhere the in the middle yeah something in the middle some, thousand, in the goldilocks zone of black in, holes in the thousand times the mass of the sun something like that and that is again supporting the idea that this globular cluster it is the remnant of a dwarf galaxy mm. that has been in some way Gobbled. eaten yeah, by the Milky Way. <laughs> and now it is just the core remaining there. So have a look to 47 Tucanai yes. and enjoy the rest of these enjoy beautiful our top skies. Yeah. As well. So I think that with this we are ready to say bye-bye to episode 21. Of course. And you guys always know how to find us on Twitter. Facebook and through email at the scientist. Send us your questions and also don't forget you can send an audio question. Oh, yes, please. We please. want another one. We want we want to have the fifth voice. Yes, here we do because we're sick of our voices. Yes, like, and, on, and, and that that reminds me that uh, we got some few comments say that our first guest was amazing. Yes, oh, it was so cute. <laughs> Wasn't he cute, guys? It was just so adorable. He was so embarrassing. It was when so I was, sweet. When I was playing the final episode, and look, that is you. And he, really, I have never seen my son so shy and Aww. going... <laughs> hiding the embarrassment starts yes. now <laughs> anyway well I have some few more ideas for the future with him so I hope that you know he will pass we'll to, his face we'll have to get him back when you finish your moon project yes we will we yeah. will we have eight photos already oh excellent good anything more to go yeah but anyway so that's far, all from us yes so far so let's say goodbye and talk to you in two weeks. Don't forget your feedback and your questions and everything because we are really looking forward to receiving them. Yes. Okay, bye everyone. Bye-bye. T-minus 15 seconds. Ready? Roger. 15 seconds. 
two. We have left off at NASA's New Horizons The revelations of New Horizons may help us to understand better how our solar system was formed.
and I wanted to include at least one galaxy, not a plane, but a galaxy. <laughs> We call those Jetstar. Jetstar. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> If only this plane could achieve escape velocity of the Earth and go away. <laughs> Should I add that at the end of one of the episodes? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs>